Hi, this is Paul Taylor, one of the co-hosts of the Career Boosters podcast. Are you ready to supercharge your career? Introducing the Career Boosters, the podcast that'll take your professional journey to the next level. We've got the success secrets, the latest trends, and essential skills to propel your career forward. No matter where you are in your journey, we've got you covered. Your dream career is just one listen away. Let's make it happen. Definitely is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not going to happen where you attend a seminar on emotional expression and then two weeks later you're suddenly an expert in this field and your emotional intelligence is completely balanced with everything. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Career Boosters podcast. And specifically, welcome to our second episode on emotional intelligence. Last week, we had the fascinating chat with Barry Muhammad about why emotional intelligence is crucial for effective leadership. Our MBA students are currently in the midst of a two-week deep dive into this topic. And in our most recent class, we asked students to break down the EQI 2.0 model and share their thoughts on its various components. The insights were quite eye-opening. For example, self-regard. What is this? Well, students pointed out to qualities like confidence and having a good attitude. While empathy was described and defined as understanding others without the urge to compete or overshadow their experiences. But of course, there's a balance to strike. Too much empathy might lead to neglecting your own needs, and being overly flexible can slow down the decision-making process and even project completion. Today, we're going to explore this intriguing topic further. We'll be chatting with another MBA student, Nick, who will share his insights on how emotional intelligence plays a crucial role in setting and achieving goals and working effectively with others. So grab your headphones, sit back, and get ready for another engaging podcast journey into the world of emotional intelligence. First question is, what is the story behind your decision to embark on an MBA journey right now? Hey, Paul, Paul and Tiffany, uh, thanks for having me, first of all, kind of getting behind the question. Um, so after working in sales and business development for the past five years after undergrad, I developed pretty good soft skills necessary, necessary to excel in sales. However, I noticed that I was lacking some more hard or more technical skills in areas that I was had an interest and a passion in. I decided to enroll in my MBA where I'm specializing in business operations and analytics, which is what I'm very interested and passionate about. So I can expand my skill set around data, analytics, AI, while also improving my leadership abilities. Um, and something else kind of that pushed me to pursue my MBA was I saw that there was a gap between sales teams and analytics teams and how they performed in organizations. So especially even my older or old organizations that I worked for in the past. So I hope to kind of address that gap with my previous experience and the new skill set that I'll gain from my MBA. And that's really neat, Nick, because quite often we sometimes hear the opposite. We have MBA students who come in having been in technical roles and come in with a lot of technical operational type experience. And the sort of surprising fact and learning and outcome of an MBA is in fact the soft skills, or we can term those as people skills, which is directly tied to emotional intelligence, which is what we're going to talk again about today, because it is such a complex topic that really weaves its way into professional and leadership specifically. 
So I want to kick us off with the same type of question that we chatted about last week. And I would really love to hear from you a story about a manager or a team lead, a coach maybe, somebody who had a really strong impact on you and your profession and why they were impactful. Let's kick it off with that. One example that I can think of off the top of my head is a manager a manager that I had at one of my first roles following undergrad. What was different with him is that he was able to both challenge me and support me. Uh, so kind of expanding on this, instead of a new grad graduating to the workforce, having no experience and kind of some managers might take the approach of, hey, do this task, do this by this deadline and don't ask questions and kind of get it done. But my this manager in particular, particular, he started off with that approach, but quickly saw that I was wanting to kind of be challenged and open myself up to new experiences and new skills. So he, I guess, gradually gave me more and more responsibility, but also provided the opportunity for his mentorship and his experience to help me navigate through these challenges for myself. So I think the combination of both the challenge and the support was what I really needed to kind of embark on new experiences and gain new skills in the process as well. And when you interacted with him, what sort of words or attributes would you put to the way that he led? I would say that he led with a very empathetic and supportive role as a manager or a leader. Um, and I actually, I, I wouldn't even classify him as a manager I would classify him as a leader because to me there's a there's a pretty big difference in my opinion he definitely saw himself in a leader role as well and kind of made sure that he was always a leader first manager second that's a really interesting distinction you made and I'm glad you made it uh, because that was what was on the tip of my tongue is this difference between manager and leader. And I think there's a really direct tie actually to emotional intelligence here. So if you were to define the two or point out the differences, what's the difference to you? Um, So I would say a big thing, and this doesn't apply in all situations, um, but a manager would take a more quantitative approach towards the other people that are, that he is trying to manage. So what I mean by this is looking at KPIs, looking at metrics that can be defined and making decisions based on that, which not to say that this is not a wrong style of management or leadership, but to me, a leader has a more qualitative approach to his style. So for example, he might say, he might kind of sense that there is something wrong with his colleague that on a personal level that he's going to take the time to go out of his way get to the root of that problem instead of saying hey your sales are down for this quarter what's wrong what's the issue be able to to connect on a personal level and more use more qualitative metrics than quantitative metrics and that's just kind of one example and that's a really neat example it's really sort of tangible and what i heard you talking about there if i were to just put it in slightly different words is the focus on the who over the what and in what mix of focusing on the who the people uh and the what they're both there but in what mix and in what priority level that really ties to emotional intelligence and all of the different facets of it which we started to introduce last week And so when you think about this manager who's had an impact on you and you think about this difference between managers and leaders, from an emotional intelligence perspective, was this from a formalized concept familiar to you? Had you heard about it uh, or thought about it before we introduced it? 
Previously, no. I've not heard about it in the same realm that we've actually discussed. Kind of the knowledge that I had about it was emotional intelligence. It's tied to empathy. It is more of a, and I've actually heard it emphasized more in a personal sense rather than in a career sense, if that makes sense. Because as I'm sure, and as we've learned, actually, um, it can be applied to both, but it's equally important in both spheres. Very much so. And I think what you just pointed out is really common, this tie between emotional intelligence is empathy, and that emotional intelligence is more important from a personal perspective, perhaps, than professional. And what we have been doing, the work in class and the work with your career coach is to actually kind of flip that script on emotional intelligence is so much more than empathy and that the leaders and and how you described a leader, right? The qualitative leader, the leader focused on the who, uh, in fact, has a whole lot of emotional intelligence and is using it professionally. So when we talk about emotional intelligence, we often talk about levels of emotional intelligence, right? We're we're talking a bit quantitatively, how much do you have and, and of what? And we talked about that in class and that that's a little bit of a dangerous assumption or focus and that there actually in fact can be a dark side to some emotional intelligence skill sets when they are either overused or in very high quantity and not in balance. And so I'm curious when we talked about the dark side or the shadow side of high scores and how does that show up? What came to mind for you when we were talking about that in class? Even before class just Going through my results, finishing the assessment, I saw some of my uh, scores were kind of in the mid to, yeah, in the mid range. And then upon first, like, first impression, I thought, oh, no, why are my scores so low? Because I think kind of within our society, like we kind of have that subconscious mindset of, oh, my scores aren't high. What's what's wrong? But kind of looking back on it, I saw that high scores actually aren't even ideal. High scores could be indicative of a problem. So going through my scores and reading further into the um, detailed descriptions of everything and really finding out um, how these scores even work and what they reflect, I saw that my scores actually aren't as terrible as I first thought and that where I am, where I do have high scores, it's not actually... Um, a positive thing. And I really appreciate that you've pointed that out because you're right. There's very much an ingrained societal sort of view on focusing on a score and then judging yourself or perhaps even judging others based simply on a score on just one metric of this. And so when you talk about those high scores potentially being a negative, tell me how that might show up when you were looking either at your scores or at any of them. What might that dark side look like? I should correct myself. Um, I don't think that they're always a negative. I think they can be indicating a negative. Going back to your question, Tiffany, I think that, for example, had a very, very high score in emotional expression. That could not always be a positive thing, Um, especially in the workplace where, of course, expressions are encouraged, but not to the extent of it it being able to impact your work and impact people around you. And this example of emotional expression, well, I'll actually come to later because this was an aspect where I was on the lower end and where I actually made some goals and an actionable plan to address this. Having this this score either on the low end or the high end, for example, 
where we're going to use emotional expression. This could be indicative of expressing too little emotions or too many emotions. And this could happen at inappropriate times if you're expressing your emotions in, in, a, in a workplace setting. So that's kind of what came to mind in terms of high or low range scores for me. And I really appreciate this understanding that it's a it could be a a barrier or a shadow or a dark side. And what we talked about in class is where that shows up is when that specific skill set within emotional intelligence isn't balanced by others that are associated to it. So we know emotional intelligence is a mix of a lot of different aspects and that they're all connected. You can't look at them in silo. And so we talked about the theory around balancing and that that balance can sometimes look like a stool. And so if you were to imagine a three-legged stool, right, if all of those legs aren't the same length, that stool's pretty wobbly. And Paul and I shared uh, our own example, which we'll get into in just a moment. And then maybe Nick, you can share yours as well, of what imbalance can look like from an emotional intelligence perspective. Uh, and we all talked about it in, in the form of a stool. And so Paul, do you want to kick it off and, and give us a really good sort of example of what that imbalanced stool looks like specifically for you? You know, when we think about this and listeners listening to this, they may be thinking like, well, what does all of this mean? And how many how many of these things are there? And and I guess in its very simplest form, the model that we work with is called EQI 2.0. And it has five different chunks, five different buckets, uh, if you will. And those are the self-perception, so the way that we see ourselves, self-expression, the way we express our emotions. It's the interpersonal side of things, so the way, the relationships that we have the way we make decisions based on the emotions that we're having and our stress management. When I look at my own imbalances, um, there there was one real life uh, example that I shared. And so when we think about flexibility, flexibility is kind of the top of the chair or the seat of the chair. And then there are three legs to that. So we have the way that I solve problems or the way that you solve problems, the independence that you have and your impulse control. And so an example for me is Flexibility was actually the lowest number of my entire report. And so I, I'm very aware that maybe I'm a little less flexible than others. And we're not meaning in the physical sense. We're more meaning on the, the mental or the mental side of things. Um, and I have impulse control being really, really high. And so in the effort of the metaphor that Tiffany is trying to share is one of the legs for my chair or for my stool is really long, I will obviously be imbalanced. And so one of the action items or one of the things that I try to do is try to be more mentally flexible, which will then reduce the level of impulse control that I have. So this is a perfect example of what Nick was talking about around if you have something really high, that's not necessarily a good thing. So with impulse control, I'm having to really control my emotions more often than I probably should be. And so if I can be more flexible, I won't have to manage those emotions as well. And I can share the same sort of stool metaphor for myself. So assertiveness is an area that I'm, I'm very familiar that I struggle with, and it certainly was reflected in my results. And so my stool shows assertiveness as a lower number, and I have emotional self-awareness 
as a much higher number. And so the delta between the two of those creates a wobbly stool for me because I am very emotionally self-aware and I might even say perhaps hyper-aware. And so the downside, the shadow side of that is that I've got a very loud inner monologue on the go of kind of my emotional self-awareness and what I'm feeling. And that impacts my ability to be assertive uh, and an assertive being. How can I sort of stand for what I believe in and stand for my sort of opinions and thoughts in a very respectful, very collaborative way? And so for me, my action item is that I have to find ways to turn down the volume in my head of the emotions and the emotional impact that I know is going on so that I can balance that out and have less of an impact on my ability to be assertive. So Nick, we talked about this in class. Would you be willing to share kind of your own stool and what it is that you have started to realize about your balancing? One example that I kind of found from my stool was something that I touched on just uh, previously, my emotional expression being quite low and my self-actualization was very high. So kind of the relationship that I um, designed between these two was self-actualization. So this is the willingness to persistently try and improve oneself and kind of constantly focus on self-improvement and create meaningful objectives and achieve these objectives. This was very high, which I thought this was very accurate about myself, but my emotional expression was on the lower end, which I also agreed with in terms of the accuracy. So having a very low emotional expression and a very high self-actualization, I think that these can kind of get in the way of each other. First, um, one might think, these, hey, these have nothing to do with each other. Like what does emotional expression have to do with creating goals and kind of self-improvement? But I think that being open and being able to express my feelings and emotions, that could actually create a very, very positive and a huge impact on self-actualization and being able to more clearly define my goals, being able to more clearly follow persistent action plans that would lead to better results within my goals. So I think that having a higher emotional expression and being able to kind of contextualize my feelings and my emotions when I'm going through in the moment could actually lead to more effective self-actualization in my situation. And you've really interestingly noted how interconnected emotional intelligence is and how very much, you know, if we think about those old stereos where you move the you move one dial and the other dial moves kind of in the opposite direction, you know, the mixing sound boards of all of those dials and how impacting one dial can positively impact another dial. And we know that this focus on emotional intelligence is more of a marathon. It is certainly not a sprint. This is a life journey. This is something that, you know, we focus on and continue to peel the onion layers back for for really most of our lives. We know emotional intelligence doesn't peak for us until we're 40 to 50. So we've got some time to work on this. So as you look at your marathon, you talked about having already set some goals. What is it that you're starting to work on in this area? I actually created a bit of a smart goal to And kind of what you say, Tiffany, it definitely is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not going to happen where you 
attend a seminar on emotional expression and then two weeks later you're suddenly an expert in this field and your emotional intelligence is completely balanced with everything i know that it's something that i'm gonna have to continuously work on um maybe i can share my smart goal maybe that would kind of give some context to this so my smart goal it was to enhance emotional expression by learning and practicing at least three new strategies for effectively communicating emotions and then in terms of the M for the measurable, I was going, I made a plan to read a minimum of two books about effective emotional expression over the next six months and apply the learned techniques in real life scenarios at least twice a week in my daily life. So I found this to be achievable as I would only need to dedicate 30 minutes each day to practicing new emotional expression techniques such as journaling or reading, making progress on the books that I've decided to read. So I found this to also be this goal to be relevant as Improved emotional expression will benefit both my personal and my professional relationships, enhancing my communication, my empathy, and overall well-being in both of these realms. And so this was time-bound as by the end of six months, I was I aimed to comfortably and confidently apply these new emotional expression strategies in daily situations in my life, hopefully noticing some positive changes in communication and more fulfilling personal relationships as well. What a really great demonstration of taking a quantitative approach to a qualitative topic, right? That very specific SMART goal, right? It is SMART, uh, so it's specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time-bound, but to an end that is very qualitative and uh, emotionally intelligence focused. Tell me within that journey, what is it that you are hoping to achieve at the end? I, I guess I have a, a sub goal at the end of six months is to be able to kind of be more effective in emotional expression and communication in both personal and professional relationships. But I don't have a actual goal in terms of the next five, 10, 15 years. I believe that this goal is going to be constantly evolving as I improve my emotional intelligence um, as I become more balanced in other areas and work on finding the optimal balance for my personal and professional life, I think that kind of setting a new goal every two or three years and tracking your progress, I think that's the way for me personally to really get results. And, and what a great opportunity to be able to utilize your career coach, aka Paul, uh, in your MBA journey to support you through this in, to your point, this marathon of micro goals all along the way. And that reflective journey and process that is so crucial to that micro goal journey. When you look at emotional intelligence, you've set a smart goal, you have your first micro sort of step in this marathon. In this broad topic in general, what is it that you're really curious to keep digging into? Is there anything that sparked that curiosity inside of you? Um, so yeah, I think that one thing that I'm particularly curious about regarding this is how it can come more naturally to me, like how I can affect incorporate these more emotional intelligence into my daily life without having to kind of constantly think about it. If I can share, like previously, I didn't really even realize that my emotional expression was on the lower end and not, and I guess, out of balance. But upon speaking to my most, the people I communicate with most, such as my girlfriend or my close friends, they were actually in agreement of this. 
Um, and, and, and they weren't, they weren't in agreement on, Hey, Hey, this, like, you need to work on this. I've noticed this. It's, it's bad. They were kind of like, yeah, I think that this kind of is an area where you don't have as much balance as say other areas, for example. So one thing that I'm really curious about is how I can, cause this is not something that comes naturally to me. Um, so I want to figure out how I can kind of incorporate this into my communication style, my relationships with it coming more naturally and having to kind of force it less, if that makes sense. Oh, it totally does. And I really appreciate that you have kind of entered that sort of vulnerable space of, I realize this is a gap or an area of opportunity. And I also realize it's not natural. And that takes some vulnerability and courage to admit that there's this area of emotional intelligence that isn't natural. And I think that is the very first step that so many people actually aren't willing to take is to even dive in and like peek behind the curtain and go, oh, yeah, there's something I can work on here. And this is something that isn't isn't an area of natural ability for me. And it really actually speaks to some brain science. So the neural pathways that we all naturally have and that we continue to flex and build stronger neural pathways, if we're not trying something new, if we're not learning in new areas, we're not building new neural pathways. And you, you talk about being authentic. I think that's one of those pieces of authenticity is when we try something new and do it over and over again, we create these new pathways in the brain that are authentically ours. But it takes that rumbling with the uncomfortableness of new and the uncomfortableness of this isn't natural and being willing to stick with it until it becomes a new established sort of connection in the brain. So kudos to you for, for doing that. When you look at your MBA journey, how is this going to impact it? Yeah, so I think that this is actually going to impact my MBA journey in just about every aspect that is relevant. Um, so kind of expanding on this, I think that emotional expression has a huge impact on your communication style, which in terms of my, M not only my MBA, but my professional career and my journey in life even is going to be centered around my communication style, how I'm communicating with others in the workplace, within my MBA, within my even personal life. So I think this is going to have an impact on a more effective communication, strengthened relationships, and even more opportunities for me to um, express myself in ways um, that are kind of separate than communication. And what a core skill to just life. So yes, in the MBA, but what a beautiful skill to be able to work on and hone for just the rest of life. And I know Paul and I are, are certainly very privileged to be kind of walking part of that journey and that path uh, with you and with all the other MBA students as, as you guys work uh, kind of on this skill set of emotional intelligence. Nick, let's do a lightning round. You ready for it? I'm ready. All right. Three quick questions with three gut answers. What is one part of your career story that's given you the biggest boost? One part is never saying no to any task that I'm asked to dive into, even if I know that it's completely out of my realm of experience. And what's one thing you wish you had learned sooner? Uh, one thing that I wish that I had learned sooner is taking risks are very, very necessary. And in my opinion, one of the most important factors of success. And last question. So Paul and I focus on service. It's so core to who we are. So we are really curious to know how is service going to show up for you this week? Yeah. So 
unfortunately, right now, one of my close friends is dealing with something that's uh, quite traumatic to them. So this weekend, I'm going to be offering my support to them and hope to bring some positivity and some optimism to their life. Thank you so much, Nick, for stepping into this vulnerable, courageous, brave space of emotional intelligence, of being willing to share the sort of deep parts of you that you are just learning about yourself, no less, uh, and offering thoughts and wisdom and really great tidbits to others who are either on this journey or perhaps even just considering diving into this journey. It does take a lot of bravery and courage and, and willingness to share. And so thank you so much for doing that with us today. Thank you to you both, Paul and Tiffany, for having me on. And I was, I was happy to, to share my, my thoughts. I really want to thank Nick for coming in and talking about emotional intelligence. We, on purpose, have two classes around emotional intelligence and utilizing this one tool called EQI 2.0. This tool is very helpful when we look at the definition of what emotional intelligence could be, but it's also very helpful in the goal setting that we have to help us become more emotionally aware and emotionally positive people. I have three key takeaways from Nick's episode today. I loved how Nick talked about the difference between management and leadership, and he had a great leader that both challenged and supported them. When we think about managers, a lot of them are about the KPIs, the key performance indicators. But I think great leaders focus on the people, which is a wonderful skill to have. The second one, society always tells us that high scores are better. Sometimes that's not the case. In Nick's example, he had self-actualization is really high. And that was something that, you know, talking about wanting to grow, wanting to develop, want to learn, things like that. Well, that's great. But if he can improve his emotional self-awareness and emotional expression, he'll be able to take advantage of that even more so. I really appreciated that. And finally, I think when we think about emotional intelligence, I believe Tiffany used the term, it's a, it's a marathon and not a sprint. And then Nick built on that. It truly is. It is something that we need to continually work on. It's something that we need to be aware of. And I think awareness is, to me, the most important thing. Awareness that there are all these different facets and parts of emotional intelligence. And Tiffany used the term of a mixing board. Raise one, something else goes down. How do we become into more better balance? And I think in life, don't we all look for balance? Thanks for listening today. Nick, uh, we want to thank you so much again for joining us. You offered great insight and a vulnerability that you know, not many MBA students are willing to share. So thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Career Boosters podcast. Looking for more insights to elevate your professional, personal, and career growth? We've got the boost you need. Join myself and Paul next time for more actionable advice and real world stories. And remember, subscribe wherever you enjoy podcasts, ensuring you catch every tip and tactic to boost your career journey. See you next time.